Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's part five of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapters 52 and 53 called The Suffering Servant. And of course, David in Psalm 32 and uh, Psalm 51 describes that period of his life and it was a, it was a time of uh, desperate dryness, a time of, um, he felt like he was being consumed physically and emotionally because he was away from the God that he loved. And so this, this shepherd comes into the scene in Isaiah 53 and he comes to take away our iniquity by dying in our place. And as the text turns now, it shows you what happens to him. He becomes the straying sheep, though he never strayed. He becomes the afflicted sheep. He becomes the one that's treated as the sacrifice, the one that will be killed, though he did nothing wrong. And here's what it says, Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. The word afflicted there is used in Exodus 3, 7, of the affliction that was brought upon the Israelites from the taskmasters as they were in slavery. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, verse seven, Isaiah 53, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. When an animal is going to be killed, an animal doesn't really know what's going on. You know, you can, you can have an animal on a farm and feed it and feed it and feed it and then all of a sudden the day for butchering comes and the animal doesn't really know any better but its end comes and whack, it's over. But the whole time that Jesus was living and then as he was moving from Galilee to Jerusalem, he knew where he was headed. He wasn't a sheep that didn't have the mental acumen to know that he was headed to disaster, to death and the weight of the sin of the world being thrust upon him. He knew exactly what he was doing. He had the full mind and understanding of what it would mean both physically and carrying the weight of the sins of the world. He was a very uh, calm, uh, informed mind, yet a submitted mind. And as he stood before the religious leaders, some people stood up and they began to give false testimony Against him, and they said, We heard that this man says he'll destroy the temple made with hands, and in three days he said, I'll build another one made without hands. Mark 14, 59. And not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. And the high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus, and he said, Do you make no answer? There he is silent. What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent, he made no answer. And again, the high priest was questioning him, saying to him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And then finally Jesus said, I am. That's Mark 14, 62. So Jesus was silent before the false testimony, before his accusers. And then finally he said, if you want to know, I'm the Messiah. And by oppression, verse eight, and judgment, the word for judgment there is mishpat, and it speaks of judgment and justice because God's justice will be satisfied in Jesus Christ. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. It probably means here taken away to die. And as for his generation, who considered, who really pondered that he was cut off 
That means a uh, strong physical death. Out of the land of the living. Why? For the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. See, the truth of the cross is, I belong there. The truth of the cross is, he doesn't deserve to die there. This man who is with us right now, he's done nothing wrong. Remember what one of the thieves said? But we, we're up here because obviously we're paying the due penalty of our crimes, but him? And what does he say? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, oh, you have a problem. First you need to get down from the cross, find a baptistry. No. (laughs) For those uh, friends of ours, look, baptism is important, but it's the grace of God. It's the atonement of Christ that saves us. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. See, I recognize right now that the stroke being thrust upon you was due to me. I understand, as the New King James says, for the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. The word for stroke, if you have an NAS, uh, speaks of a wound or a blow. Uh, And of course, Jesus took multiple blows, but then he took the wounds of the cross. T.R. Burke says, each sin of every sinner would be like a separate wound in the heart of this man of sorrows. In a dream, one writer says, I saw the Savior. His back was bare, and there was a soldier lifting up his hand and bringing down that awful cat of nine tails. In a dream, I rose, and I grasped his arm to hold it back. And when I did, the soldier turned in astonishment and looked at me. And when I looked at him, I recognized myself. See, that's what happened at the cross. And so we should have been there, not in the face of the guard per se. We should have been on the cross. Jesus Christ, the just one, died for the unjust that he might bring us to God. He was put to death in the flesh. He was made alive in the spirit. This is the message of the gospel. So what happened? Well, Jesus died. And of course, when you would die this kind of death, there was a common graveyard that they would basically just throw you in. But Jesus didn't suffer that kind of um, um, humiliation in his Burial. In around 700 BC, so this is probably well over 700 years before the events of the Passion happen, the writer Isaiah says of Jesus, his grave, verse 9, was assigned with wicked men. That's plural. So he should have been in the common graveyard. And of course, he died between two thieves and so would have been of course, thrown in that graveyard with those thieves. So he was assigned a grave with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man, singular, in his death. Who was the rich man? His name was Joseph of Arimathea. Now, Joseph was a secret disciple. Uh, He was on, I believe he was on the council of the Sanhedrin, and he was fearful, so he did not come out for Jesus while Jesus was alive. He believed, but for fear of the Jews, as it happened to many uh, first century people who knew that Jesus was the Messiah, but they held back because uh, people were being thrown out of the synagogue. You, there could be a number of things that would happen to you. So, so Joseph was a secret disciple. Now, after Jesus died, he did something very radical. You remember what he did? He mustered up the courage to go to Pilate 
after all the shenanigans with the religious leaders and Pilate trying to find a way and saying, he's innocent, he's done nothing wrong. And the crowd and all that, Pilate finally washes his hands. The secret disciple, Joseph of Arimathea, finally musters up the courage to do what? To go to Pilate and say, can I have his body? That took courage because now, in in this sense, Joseph was coming out of the closet and finally saying, I belong to him. Can I please have his body? Now, everybody else appeared to be hiding at this time, including the committed disciples, the inner circle, but it was Joseph who went to Pilate and Pilate could have done a number of things to Joseph, but, and including uh, ratting him out. But Joseph went, he asked for the body, Pilate gave it to him, and Joseph was now exposed as a disciple of Christ. And it makes me wonder, I'd like you to turn in your Bible first to Matthew, and then we'll go to John. It makes me wonder about Joseph, if he felt regret for not doing enough while Jesus was alive. Let me say something to you that, I think can hit home with all of us. After people die, if you want to get some things done, it's too late. Now, Jesus, of course, resurrects from the dead, and there's 40 beautiful days with the apostles, and Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom, and so there's hope renewed, and and hope is never lost, even when someone passes from this life. We don't know what even happens in their last dying moments. But what I'm saying is, I've done way too many memorial services and funerals to see too many people with regrets. So if you have an opportunity to make something right, don't wait. Matthew 27, 57 tells us of Joseph. It says, when it was evening, Matthew 27, 57, there came a rich man, so he was well off, from Arimathea. His name was Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus, Matthew 27, 58. This man went to Pilate, so he mustered up the courage. He asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given over to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. He laid it in his own new tomb, which now he could not use for himself, which had been hewn out of the rock. He rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. We find from John's gospel, please go to John 19, that Joseph actually was not alone. This is why you need to read the gospels together because they add detail that you don't always get. Sometimes one gospel will focus on one aspect. It's not contradictory, but it's giving you more light as to more persons involved, etc. This is John 19, look at verse 38. Actually go to verse uh, 37. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced, John nineteen thirty eight. And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission, and he came therefore and took away his body. And who? And Nicodemus came also. Now we read about Nicodemus way back in John 3, And Nicodemus came to Jesus when? At night, because he was fearful as well. And he said, you must be a teacher come from God. No one can do what you do unless God's with him. And Jesus says, what? You must be born again. That's not what Nicodemus said. Nicodemus says, you must be from God. You do all these works. The natural response would be, that's right. Jesus bypasses that whole thing and says, you 
You're the teacher of Israel. You must be born again. And there's Nicodemus, two men who were secretive. Nicodemus, as you read the Gospels, begins to get a little bolder, um, but he still doesn't really come out. And both Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, both prominent, probably both wealthy religious leaders, uh, both involved in high uh, leadership in Israel, both come to get the body. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Walk in Truth has more content for you to listen to with our mini-sodes, A Step Closer, where Pastor Michael Lance and others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics and questions about life from a Christian perspective. You'll also get a chance to get to know the team. The next topic to dive into is the potential overturning of Roe v. Wade. Even if we threw out having to land on when does life begin, when a majority of those abortions happen, right, is in between generally six to 12 weeks. And, you know what I mean, there's a heartbeat, there's, everything's pretty much intact. The only thing that child or that baby needs is time and nutrition. It's fully formed. To listen to the Walk in Truth mini-sodes a step closer, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and more. Again, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. You're the teacher of Israel. You must be born again. And there's Nicodemus, two men who were secretive. Nicodemus, as you read the Gospels, begins to get a little bolder, um, but he still doesn't really come out. And both Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, both prominent, probably both wealthy religious leaders, uh, both involved in high uh, leadership in Israel, both come to get the body. They come out. Uh, I don't know, are you a secret disciple? You know, I preached on discipleship on Sunday, and I was thinking, you know what, Lord, I go through periods where perhaps that's a good definition of me. You know, I don't want to say I'm ever on vacation as a Christian, but I certainly think it's possible for me to lack in the zealousness of my witnessing, to lack maybe in my prayer life. And they're all interconnected. And so, you know, one thing that was stirred for, from Sunday for me was, you know what, I need to get back to really having witnessing be at the forefront of what I do. And if I just put it out there and say, Lord, I'm available and I want to, I want to be the man that you've called me to be. He'll give me opportunities, and he has. So Nicodemus, uh, John nineteen thirty nine came also, who had first come to him by night, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds uh, weight. And also they took the body of Jesus, bounded in linen wrappings with the spices, as in the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, and uh, you can go to the garden tomb today, and it is near the location where many believe that Jesus was crucified. If you look at Gordon's Calvary, and some of you have been there, and some of you have seen pictures, you actually stand in the garden tomb, and you can look, I think you're looking east, and you can look at what's called Gordon's Calvary, uh, Calvary and there you see what looks like the face of a skeleton. Some of you have seen pictures of this. It looks like a skull. Well, up on the top of that hill, many believe that's where Jesus died, on Mount Calvary. But there's actually a strong case to be made that he died actually below that, right below the little hill, 
Because what would happen is the Romans liked to crucify people on busy streets where you could pass the victim of crucifixion as a warning not to, you know, not to turn on Rome. And so Jesus may have died right there. What's interesting is about that location. The location of the cross, if it's below Gordon's Calvary, sits on what would be like a main uh, thoroughfare or marketplace. And if you take about 10 steps this way, you're in the garden tomb area. And if you go just around the corner, you can experience what they believe is the tomb of Jesus, which we don't know for sure. But it's actually right on the face of the, the hill there, hewn out of the rock. And you can go and stand in there, which I got a chance to do as well with a little video coverage as well. But it's a pretty moving uh, situation. And it, it lends credence to this archaeologically that uh, it may well be that that's the position of where Jesus died. Because no, now in the place where he was crucified, there was what? John 19.41? There was a garden. And that, that area is a garden. It's an enclosed area where the tomb is located. And so the garden tomb um, is legitimately very close to the, resur- uh, to the crucifixion spot. They're very close in proximity, uh, just from this account alone. And in the garden, a new tomb, notice, in which no one had yet been laid, therefore on account of the Jewish day of preparation, because the tomb was nearby, notice they laid Jesus there. And so there's uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Go back to Isaiah and we'll finish it. What do you think they were thinking as they walked away? Hope we don't get busted. <laughs> that's a, that's a, a pretty decent uh, take. Uh, maybe some regret. You know, there you're dealing with the corpse of the Messiah. And you had all these chances while he was alive. Now, how much they believe in the resurrection, I don't know. But he rose. And we don't hear much about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus afterwards, but can you imagine what they must have felt like knowing that he was alive and there was a chance at redemption, at least in the sense of being able to spend some time with the Lord if indeed that took place. But the Lord, this is back in Isaiah 53, verse 10. See, this is the Lord's work. If you're going to look for a reason uh, if you're looking for a target to say they were behind the crucifixion, the killing of Jesus happened by their hands. Uh, John MacArthur has wrote, written a book called The Murder of Jesus and he makes the case that if you really want to understand this theologically, the one that killed Jesus was the father. Because it, was, it pleased the Lord. The Lord was pleased. This was always God's will The word pleased, you need to understand, is a word that speaks of pleasure and desire, but think of it in this sense. It was the pleasing of God's will because God's justice would be appeased, and that's the way the flow of the text has been going. By the death of Jesus, it would appease the justice of God. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? He's the appeasement. He's the satisfaction of God's holiness. The cross includes God's love and God's justice. And God's love is on display and God's justice is being satisfied. 
God's will was to crush him. That's why Jesus went to the cross. No one took his life from him. God's predetermined plan, according to Acts, I think it's chapter two, was fulfilled. And Pilate and Herod and all those players were simply God's tools. They're still culpable. Judas is still responsible for his betrayal. But ultimately, this was the predetermined plan of God. It pleased the Lord to crush him. We looked at that word in verse five and that word has the idea of a trampling, uh, disastrous kind of crushing and death. Think of a mob trampling over somebody's body, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, and that's what Jesus was, he uh, takes away our guilt and he fulfills the pictures of Leviticus five and six, which you can study later. As a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, and there are many, many offspring of Jesus uh, who come in as his seed, if you will, according to Galatians 3. He will see his offspring. He's going to experience all of us, and we him, because we will see him face to face, but he will also see us. The cool thing is, apparently, he wants to see us. I go and prepare a place for you. Me? Little old me? The God of the universe wants to dine with me? Yeah, that's why he died for you. To dine with you in the kingdom of God. You've been listening to The Suffering Servant, Part 5 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapters 52 and 53. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to our new mini-sodes called A Step Closer. And just so you know, we have free apologetic events from time to time, and they're called 633, and that's based on Matthew 633. Pastor Michael invites special guests, professionals in their fields, to talk about hard topics that affect the culture. In the past, we've had guest speakers that have talked about the issue of racism, Roe v. Wade, miracles, and how we as Christians can talk about those issues. You can watch those talks and many others on our Free Living Truth app and on our website, walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael before we go. Well, you've been hearing that the message of Jesus Christ takes away our guilt. He cleanses our conscience. He washes away our sins. This is the beauty of the gospel. But maybe you find yourself in a position where you still you still feel like you're paying off a debt. Uh, remember, from the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. It's paid in full. Maybe you're trying to work off guilt or earn your salvation. Remember, from the cross, Jesus said, it is finished, paid in full. You don't have to carry that anymore. He carried our sorrows. He bore our griefs. He was wounded for my transgressions and yours. He, the Lord, laid on him, listen, the iniquity of us all. He carried it to the cross for us. I used to have a old beat-up t-shirt. It said the Lord's gym on it. It was a picture of Jesus with rippling muscles, basically carrying the weight of the cross, almost like, you know, a weightlifter would carry a, a huge rack of weights. And that doesn't even tell, um, you know, a little bit of the story of what Jesus carried. 
but he carried it. So why are you? I have to ask myself that all the time because sometimes I want to recarry it or take it back. No, it's been dealt with, paid in full. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Are you trying to earn your way to salvation? You can't do it, man. But Jesus did it for you and for me. Trust in him. Uh, trust in his finished work for you. Say, Lord, I believe that you died on that terrible cross and were treated as though you had committed my sins and you bore my penalty, my shame. You took the wrath of God. Pray it if it's you. I repent of my sin. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. I rededicate my life. I turn to you, O Lord. Carry my burden. Take, take my guilt and sorrow away. I know you nailed it to the cross. Help me to walk that out practically in reality, even today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is Pastor Michael. So glad you're listening to Walk in Truth. We will see you right here tomorrow. Remember, if you have anything that we can do for you in terms of reaching out, praying for you, the email address is contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. See you tomorrow. And don't forget that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station. How long have you been listening? Could you help us pay for some airtime on this station? Help us continue in this ministry. A monthly partnership of at least $5 a month is all we ask. If you're blessed by this ministry and believe others can be too, please visit walkintruth.com now to donate. That's walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part six of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapters 52 and 53 called The Suffering Servant. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you with God's truth to all people.